Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Trip. Rob, welcome back to the table. Uh, I noticed you're lacking coffee today. Is there a reason for that? Oh, well, yeah, I, I, um, I hit it pretty hard this morning at Bond Life, so I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Hit it pretty, that's you our can, sponsor, you can't Bond tell, Life. The chair wiggles. If you obviously you can't tell because you're listening online, maybe they can hear the wiggles. But the full swivel on this chair, the ball bearings are going to go out. All right, I'm fully caffeinated. I'm fully caffeinated. caffeinated. Well, our guest, I don't know if he's fully caffeinated or not, is Charlie Hughes. He's one of the leaders at Rally at Church by the Glades in South Florida. And I heard recently, and I'll let him verify it if he's willing to say so. He is one of the best young preachers that a certain leader, (laughs) one of our favorite leaders who has not been on the show yet, Chris Kane, <laughs> said Hello, Chris is, a, Kane. is a great young preacher. So is it true, Chris Kane? Listen, I, I can neither confirm nor, nor deny that. Christine Kane is one of my favorite preachers. So whenever she uh, listens to, to any of my sermons, I, I'm honored and equally scared at the same time, wondering what she's really thinking. But she, she's one of my greatest encouragers. And I, I have some other friends that are kind of around her level of influence, but she's she's above and beyond generous with her platform, especially sharing it with a, a young preacher like myself. So I, I appreciate her so much. But um, I mean, that I, I appreciate her kind words, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I've heard some other pretty good young preachers, too. But I appreciate it. <laughs> she was at rally with you guys, what, two months ago, three months ago? She was. She was at, um, we called it our rally launch because during COVID, we didn't meet for about 11 months. So she was the first the first person to preach wow. a rally in 11 yeah. months. And it was a great night. She preached the house down. So good. Yeah, she does that on occasion. Yeah, yeah. She, we she saw her at Passion, Passion 2020. And 2020, yeah. Like, wow. One of the best messages I think I've ever heard in my life. So She's amazing. I've, I've heard a lot of preaching. A lot of preaching. I've done a lot of bad preaching myself, but <laughs> same here. This is not a counseling show, Jeff. <laughs> not yet. Not, not yet. We haven't got that deep. Real quick, I, I just want to say thank you to you guys for having me on the podcast. I'm I'm really excited about this. This this is an honor for me. So thank you. No, we're no, excited, we're excited, bro. Excited, we're excited yeah. to have you. And uh, you know, we we love to have these conversations with, especially with young adults like you who are actually doing the things, right? I mean, you're out there, you're hitting the grind, you're you're making it happen, and and it's really cool to, for us. You know, Jeff and I, we're not old yet, 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 but we're, we're certainly up there in terms of, um, you know, our, our experience and our tenure in ministry. And so something we talk a lot about on the show is reverse mentoring. And so we're excited to learn from you today as much as, as anything. So uh, I will promise I won't tell my dad joke that I told you before the show, because that would just be terrible, but we'll tweet it out later. We'll tweet it out later. It's a clean joke. It's just, it's, it's a terrible dad joke. So um, anyway, we're, we're excited that you're here. We're excited to learn from you and uh, excited for the conversation. Yeah. So let's talk about how you got, how the, how rally got started and a little bit about it. So your dad is the pastor of church by the glades. Um, yeah. Been there 15 years, I think, right. Roughly. Yeah. He's actually coming up on year 22. I want to wow. say. So my research is bad. So, so 22 years, you grew up a pastor's kid. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that experience and sort of growing up a pastor's kid and then your own wrestling of calling. Yeah, for sure. So been a pastor's kid my entire life. I'm 21 years old, by the way. So 
as long as I've been around, my dad's been the pastor at Church by the Glades. And just because it's a cool story, I'll kind of tell how my dad got to Church by the Glades. Yeah. When um when my dad first got here 22 years ago, he um wasn't in ministry. He had been he had been in ministry before, but we're in South Florida. So my dad, he became um, an actor for a little bit doing commercials and he was doing really well. And um he he just wasn't really in the ministry thing. He, he had no hard feelings towards ministry. He still loved the church. He loved God, but he just felt like it just wasn't for him at that point. And someone called him up and he said, Hey, Coral Baptist church needs an interim for their interim that they were looking They're in between pastors and their interim guy got sick. So mm -hmm. my dad went and he preached for them and pretty much he's been the interim for the interim for the past 20, 22 years since then. <laughs> um, so just like God to do something crazy like that. Exactly. It's God doing what he does. And so my parents have done a great job at making church something fun, like making church something that myself and my two siblings have always enjoyed. It's never been something I've had to dread um, or not want to go to. It's always been something that I've looked forward to. Um, and because of that, from the time I was a kid, really, as long as I can remember, I've, I've wanted to be a pastor. I've wanted to be a preacher. And part of that is when I was a little kid, I think it was just looking up to my dad. I love my dad. My dad's my hero. And I just want to do what he uh, did for a living. But um, when I was in around middle school or high school age, um, I also fell in love with football. And I was convinced that I was going to be the next great football player. That I was going to be a number one overall draft pick and a five-star recruit. And I get to play for the Miami Dolphins for 20 years. And everybody would love me, whatever. So I kind of fell in love with football for a little bit. Needless to say, that that dream ended because I'm the, not a great football player. And kind of when the door closed for football, God, um, in some cool ways, started to open up more doors for ministry. I got to preach for the first time as a 16-year-old at a French church. I began uh, leading in um, a little bit bigger capacities within my own youth group. And just as I continued um just doing more and more things within the church, my love for it grew. And I sensed this um, feeling of calling that, you know what, this is what God has for me. This is what God wants me to do. And I just really haven't looked back ever since. So it's kind of been a lingering calling throughout my childhood and into my young adult life. I've never really run away from it. I've always kind of embraced it. Cause like I said earlier, my, my parents have made something uh, have made church something that I could always enjoy. Well, here's a word of encouragement. Um, you're in good company because both Jeff and I have had our football dreams dashed. He dreamed for playing for the Bears. I dreamed for playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, yeah, so our dreams yeah. have been dashed as well. So yeah. you're in good company. But but I, I love to hear your story, not, not only um, in terms of just your personal story, but it's really cool to see how your dad's um, your dad's journey has impacted you so clearly. And I think when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to asking that fundamental question that we ask on the show all the time, uh, why are young adults leaving the church? How do we get them to stay? How do we get them to come back? I think this is, this is a critical, critical piece to it. And whether it's your dad or whether it's another um, adult, this mentoring conversation, this modeling conversation keeps coming up over and over again. So in that process, as you begin to get those experiences and those opportunities to lead, to speak, to do different things, um, that cultivating that calling in your life. I mean, what did you do to kind of prepare yourself other than just 
show up? I mean, like, what were the things that you did, the practices that you implemented that helped you prepare for this moment here today, which is probably the apex of your career being on our podcast? <laughs> oh, no, no doubt. This is the, the high point. The big this is it. This you know, backup Christine Kane. We're, we're here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, that's a great question. And to be honest, I would say kind of my journey has been intentional in many ways, but also unintentional in other ways in that um, God's been cool and kind of blessed me with opportunities that I haven't searched for, but kind of preparing myself. There, there are some things I've done um, on purpose, but other things just, they've kind of just come and I've just kind of had to go with it. But I'll say this, my first ever time preaching is a pretty funny story. So it was our friend's church. He invited me to come preach from when I was 16. Um, it was a church in Northport, Florida, which is a little outside Sarasota. It's a small kind of fishing town. Yeah. And, and I, I had listened to preachers um, before that point. I, I always loved preaching. I love listening to Stephen Furtick and Craig Rochelle and obviously my dad and Christine Kane and all these great people. So I listened to preachers so often that I was like, I, I can do this. If, if they put a mic in my hand, I can go up there. I can handle business. I can do what I need to do. So I, I prepared, I studied, but looking back, I definitely did not study, prepare, or practice as much as I should have. So when I got on stage, it's funny, I actually opened up with a joke. And the joke was, um, hey, my name is Charlie Hughes. I'm so honored to be here with you all. And I can't wait to spend the next three hours with you. Like, you know, some preacher humor is not really funny, but I got a few sympathy laughs. And um, the thing that made the joke really funny by the end of the sermon, it's supposed to be around 20 minutes of me preaching. I only preached for about 10 minutes because I lost my place in my notes. I began to panic. I was sweating profusely. I was stuttering. So I just prayed out right in the middle. And I was so embarrassed. I, I, was, I was so disappointed in myself. I really felt like I failed. Yeah. And that from that moment on as a 16 year old, I, I made a promise to myself. And more importantly, I made a promise to God that next time I got an opportunity to preach his word to his people, I would take it seriously. I, I would prepare the best way I could. And from that point on, um, I, I just take my preparation, especially when it comes to preaching very seriously, mm. where um, I'm, I'm confident in what I can do, but I'm not confident enough where I, I feel like I need to prepare. So I preach at rally once a month. So I, I normally try to finish my sermon two weeks out. So that way I have a week to sit on it, a week to kind of, it's never going to be perfect, but perfect it to a point. Um, I'll do probably five to 10 reps on the stage to an empty room. I've just kind of learned that preparation, doing that work behind the scenes that nobody sees really is what provides the confidence that I need in the moment. So preparation um, and hard work that kind of comes out of fear, but I know also leads to confidence has really been key for me. Yeah, in my yeah. early ministry, and then as far as leading goes, because right now I'm I'm leading Rally, which is the young adult ministry at my church. Um, like I just said, we we lead once a month. Um, we meet once a month. Um, for that, uh, we same thing. We just try to put in the work. Myself and the the rest of our core team, which is made up of about eight other young adults, we we just try to put in the work that nobody sees, so that when it's time to gather and rally together once a month, we can put together an excellent experience. Mm. So it's not necessarily that I've been planning or have had this roadmap out for years in advance. Like I didn't know when I was 16 that I'd be leading rally at 21. But as God presents new opportunities, myself and the team, we just try to put in the work the best we can. And we believe that 
you know, as we prepare, God will show up and he'll do what he can do. And that's kind of just been the story of rally up to this point. And it's been working out pretty good for us, but we're believing the best is still ahead. Yeah, no, that's a good point. The preparation. Um, I think, I don't know if I should this on the air, but my, my preaching failure was the second time I preached. So the first time went really well. It was like my home church and like my mama was there and I had family there. And so they're all going to cheer you on no matter how bad it was. And like, I don't know, somebody may have given their heart to the Lord. It, it felt like it was a big win for me. And then I got a, uh, an opportunity here locally in Cleveland where the university sits and I bombed. It was like the most horrific experience and the most humbling experience. Yep. What you're saying is so valuable. It's that, that preparation and I don't think I changed preparation either time. I think sometimes there's a, a push by the Lord to go, hey, it's still my word and mm -hmm. it still requires me to speak it through you. And sometimes God humbles us in those moments to let us know our dependencies upon him. For me, that was a story. Um, and it's turned out better. I think I preached better than I did that second time, <laughs> bro. That was me last night. I had a true story. Like, Where were you preaching last night? I was here on campus. We had okay. a, we had a, a, a big choir event here. So I was preaching with campus choir, but, but like literally last night, I like, I came off the stage and you know how it is when you come off stage, you're like, I'm not real confident in that one. Like, like, yeah. And I felt like the Holy spirit just correct me so quickly. He's like, is it your word or his? Good. I was like, Oh, Oh yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, and of course you get the, um, the affirmation is always nice and that's not, not the point, but, but it's like, sometimes, at least for me, the messages I thought I absolutely trashed, it's like, I have more people come up and say, I needed to hear that tonight. Right. Or so, yeah. I mean, if you're a young preacher out there, like, like every single time is not going to be a Craig Rochelle or Stephen Furtig or Christine Kane or Charlie Hughes, right? <laughs> it's, it's not going to be like that every single time. And that's okay. Like learn from the mistakes, do the hard work, do the preparation, like put all the pieces in place you need to put yourself in the best position you can to be successful. But then at some point you have to be able to trust God. You've got to be able to trust the Holy spirit that his work is going to be done through you, not because of you. Yeah. Super critical. And I'm going to flesh this out for us, Charlie, because communicators, guys who are guys and girls who are gifted at it, can often lean heavily on the gift and the talent and not do the preparation. Yeah. So how have you avoided sort of just, just leaning into the talent and the gift of God in you and, and kept doing what's necessary to prepare? Mm. That's a good question. So I would say probably one of my greatest assets that I, I know not everyone has is I do have my dad mm -hmm. and my dad is one of the, the most gifted preachers um i think in the world and not a lot of people know about him some people do some people don't um so i feel like he's kind of underrated and hidden in some ways within the church world and seeing how gifted my dad is but also how hard he works mm -hmm. to to just make his messages as excellent as possible has been convicting for me to witness my entire life so it's like if this guy who can preach the paint off the walls on a week to week basis, puts in the work day in and day out. And I only preach once a month and I don't put in work like he does for one sermon. Like for me, that's very convicting. And that's something that's really inspired me to work hard because um, I think gifting can only take you so far. Yeah. It's that hard work, it's that sweat, it's the blood, it's the tears that I think. I think that's what God really uses. I, I think obviously, the gift, it, it comes from God, but the part that God really honors and the part that really, that God blesses 
is the hard work that he sees you put in um, behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's easy to get lazy. I mean, let's be honest, right? I mean, uh, you yeah. can you can get into rhythms, you know, healthy or unhealthy rhythms, right? And you get very acclimated to culture. You get very acclimated to your congregation, to those who are listening to you. And it's easy to kind of fall asleep at the wheel and just kind of coast. And, you know, and again, it's not that you, everyone's going to be perfect or, you know, or whatever. It's just, you can never, you can never relax with the sharing of God's word. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like you can never just trust it to talent alone. You can never just rely on mm -hmm. it with skill alone. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah. that's so critical. For me, it's like if I, and not to throw any of my friends under the bus, but like <laughs> if I see someone else around my age preaching somewhere else, I'm like, oh, so how's your preparation been? Yada, yada, yada. How's it been going? Like, mm, I'm, I'm kind of just going to go up there and wing it tonight. For me, that, that tells me like you don't understand the significance of what you're doing. Right. Yeah. You don't understand. That it cares. You're, you're preaching God's word. You need to handle this with care. Yeah, I believe no word from God will ever return void. But at the same time, like what you're doing is an honor. You need to treat it as such. That's a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's valuable. And so so I want to kind of push on and kind of talk about rally. You guys are meeting once a month. Um, I, I watched the most recent rally night with Madison Pruitt. Um, I'll admit mm -hmm. that I also watched Madison on The Bachelor. I was cheering for Madison, <laughs> like Team Madison. All the way. I um, the Pete was a. I'm not gonna say that. I'm embarrassed for you, bro. It's okay. I'm embarrassed. It's quality <laughs> time with my wife is what it is. And you daughter, know, that is a lie from the devil. You're all in. You know, you're all in. <laughs> Anyways, I watched the last the last rally night, and mm -hmm. you guys placed a high emphasis on creativity, which I loved. Yeah. Where does that come from? Where does this sort of this sort of a uh, creative niche come from you guys. I think there was a destiny's child song involved in the service. There was lots of creative elements. So what was sort of the thinking behind the sort of the big creative elements that come in rally? Yeah. So again, another great question, really rally every month does its best church by the glades impression. So I think that I am a part of the most creative church in the world. I think my dad is probably the most creative pastor in the world. I, I can say that I might be biased, but it doesn't make me wrong. And the reason why rally and church by the glaze, put such an emphasis on creativity is because we're in South Florida. Mm -hmm. We're located um, in Broward and Palm Beach County, which I know Broward, and I think Palm Beach County, this, this statistic is even more so um, in the direction, but in Broward County, a study came out a few years back that said 96% of our community is quote unquote unchurched. Mm, wow. And what they qualify as being churched is if someone attends church three times a year. Right. So if you attend Christmas, Easter, a wedding or a funeral, you are technically churched in Broward County and 96% of our community is not yet. So in South Florida, the obstacles that we face is not that people necessarily have hard feelings towards church because they've been burned by the church where maybe that that might be the the struggle or the challenge or the obstacle that churches maybe in the in the bible belt might face from time to time with people but because people here are are, are very lost they come in and churches isn't on their mind so in a way we're kind of competing with south Beach, competing with the club life of fort lauderdale yeah. Um, and especially a rally more so we meet on Friday nights. We're trying to reach college students and young adults. Hmm. So we're really competing with the clubs. So 
one thing is we're trying to get people interested in church. And I think it's worked out pretty good for us. Um, if I do say so myself, I, we've seen God do some pretty amazing things. I mean, prior to COVID, our church had baptized a thousand people every year for the past 10 years. God is doing something really cool um, at our church and all glory goes to him for that. Um, but the second reason is we always use our creativity as a launching point for the sermon. So we never do a creative piece just to do mm. a creative piece. It always serves a purpose. It's pretty much an illustration. It's a it's a walking, talking, dancing, singing, living illustration. So like you you heard us say uh, you heard us sing "Say My Name" by Destiny's Child. That's because the the whole theme of the night was relationships. It was February. It was Valentine's kind of underlining type theme of the night. And we had Madison Pruitt there for um, a Q and A. She she killed it by the way. If if you want to go listen to that, it's on YouTube at, on our YouTube channel. Um, so we just had a whole relationship theme night and we use say my name to go into talking about relationships and dating and purity and so on and so forth. Um, so those are really the two reasons for our creativity. And I think creativity is a tool that more churches need to utilize and really make a priority because, I mean, we've all heard the statistics about how young adults are, jump, are uh, dropping out of the church. And I think creativity is going to be the tool that will really um, re-engage a lot of people that are leaving. Yeah, that's a great this statement. is this is a significant point to the conversation, and I think you actually um, articulated it quite well. So if I don't actually repeat exactly what you said, just go back and actually listen to what Charlie said. But essentially, <laughs> what you're saying is is uh, creativity is a launching point for the message, right? Yes. It's creativity with intentionality, for sure, right? So so kind of like we were talking about with the messages, how we get lazy or whatever with uh, with the messages, mm -hmm. we also can get kind of lazy in our creativity. So the assumption is, and I know this is being very stereotypical and broad, yeah. but the assumption is if we just make our cool church cool enough or aesthetic enough, it will draw people in. And we, we everybody who's ever tried that already knows it's a lie, right? You, you can have all the, the haze and the lights and, you know, whatever. All of those things are great. Like I'm all in on the aesthetics, but it's the creativity with intentionality that makes the difference. Yeah. Where are you going with it? Like, let's just don't create for creative sake, make mm -hmm. everything intentional, make sure it has a, a landing spot, make sure it's a driving value. And this, this is so key. You said we are trying to get people interested in church. Now, whether that is a stated value mm -hmm. or an unspoken value, it's a value. Yes, it's a clear value in what you do. It's a clear value in how you prepare. It's a clear value in how you execute the, the, the mission and the event itself. It's a very clear value, right? Let your creativity feed your values. Let your creativity underscore those values so that in your creativity and in your intentionality, you're actually achieving the things that God has given you to do in wow. your church, in right. your congregation, in your local ministry or whatever. That's such a key point. Yeah, I, and I think there's value to that, and and I like that that the creativity is not a young adult thing or a youth ministry thing. Yeah, creativity is a value of the whole. Right. And, right. and it seems to me that that if you listen to this episode for five minutes, what you're hearing is that that Charlie's dad David has laid a good foundation that's bleeding down into the organization. Right. They value creativity. They value lost souls. He just said they're baptizing a thousand people a year. That's crazy. I mean, so those values are being dripped down into the organization. 
So then the question becomes the value of discipleship. How's that being delivered in rallies? So you guys have the big splash night once a month. Yeah. How's that value of discipleship then delivered on those who are getting connected? Yeah. So I'll start by saying this. We need to do a better job at discipleship. I, I will admit that. Okay. Um, and I'm saying that in terms of rally. Rally started in September of 2019. Then COVID hit. So we had about, I think it was five or six rallies before the world shut down. Mm -hmm. And then we just relaunched. We've had two rallies and we have one next week. So we've done, this is about to be our ninth rally ever. So the main way we've been discipling people so far has been like, hey, come serve with us. Come serve with us. Join our, we call it the DLT, our dream leadership team. Mm -hmm. Get plugged in, whether it's in production or sing on stage or play an instrument or join guest services, we do an awesome after party, help us put together the after party and making it an engaging and exciting environment for people who come for the first time. That's been the primary way we've been discipling people. Like as you serve with us, um, let's pour into each other. We do some meetups um, throughout the month with our DLT. Um, but because Rally is such a young ministry, mm -hmm. the, the emphasis I've been putting on um uh, on rally has been the the once a month nights i'm like let us get really really good at doing the fundamentals the blocking and the tackling of of a uh, starting a ministry on a monthly basis let's get to the point where we feel comfortable and confident in what we're doing and then from there a dream of mine is that hopefully in the not too far hopefully near future we can start some type of rally groups where we can meet throughout the month the the three weeks that we're not meeting and then on that last Friday of every month when we all get to rally together, it feels even that much more powerful and even that much more exciting. And there's even that much more anticipation going into it because now we get to come together as a family and we get to see God do something really, yeah. really cool. Well, um, one, of, one of the things I, that I saw as I watched the rally night and that I love from your team and Chris Durso, our buddy, talks about this yeah. when he was a youth pastor, was you mentioned the one o'clock service. Like, Hey, this is the time that the the rally that rally comes to the one o'clock service on Sunday. Join us there, and there was that push back to the church, the larger church body. Uh, Chris Durso, when when he was youth, that was a big emphasis for them. I think they met on Friday nights as well. Mm -hmm. It was like, hey, I think what were they misfits or something? Misfits, Misfit yeah. service was the eleven or the one or whatever. And so you identify and push back. Listen, rally's great, but join us for the larger thing, the church. Yep. Um, what, what drove that value? Why was that so significant that you guys implemented that? It was really the, the discipleship was one of the main reasons. And also we just kind of saw that there were, there were some clicks within rally where this group hangs out with each other and this group hangs out with each other, but there wasn't a lot of commingling. So the idea behind making the 1 PM, the, um, the rally service was that let's try to get everybody together. Let's all sit in one section. Let's let the let rest of the church see that rally is a living and breathing thing because we're going to be right in their face at this service. Um, but more than anything, let, let's, let's create a space where it forces everybody to come together while all these cliques have to connect with one another. And the goal is, I actually think we're doing this this um, this Sunday at our one, after our 1 p.m. We're, uh, we're going to start obviously worshiping together, but afterwards we're going to go to a restaurant and we're all going to get lunch together. So really more than anything, it's um, just trying to get young adults to, to meet, to talk and build relationships with one another. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. 
mm-hmm. it's valuable yeah. and I, I think it's it's so important like in in what i what i've we've both studied this as we've worked in master's degree and our phds and seen it you know, otherwise that a ministry is great and rally's doing great things but if they don't connect to the bigger picture they usually don't stick yeah and so um i think that's a value I, i'd almost want to know what's I don't know if you're attending all the services. Is there a different energy at the one o'clock when you have a pile of young adults there than the other services? Does it bring a different energy to the service? Yeah. So we've, we've just started the one o'clock thing. So we're still trying to build some momentum with that, but we have gotten all of our young adults to um, a Saturday night service on a few different occasions. The reason why we we started wanting uh, the one o'clock before I get to what I was about to say is because our church just relaunched our one o'clock service. So we're trying to serve the church and let's get some young adults in this yeah, yeah, one o'clock a thing. Um, but when we've gotten all of our young adults together for the six thirty service on Saturday night, it's a fun energy. Like it's a good group of, of young adults. And my dad, after the first week he did it, he was like, listen, they need to be there every single Saturday <laughs> night is the, like the amen corner we had going on was they, we just brought energy during worship. We were jumping, we were partying. Um, and during, during the sermon, my, my dad wasn't preaching by himself. We were preaching with him. So it was something really special that we're hoping to recreate at the 1 p.m. And uh, I, I hope we can really continue in the future because I, I love it. I love it. I, and, and so I kind of want to jump in on, on that piece of it. I think, you know, we've talked so many times with so many different leaders, pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even even uh, James White just recently yeah. on the show, uh, who's a, who's an old, who's actually older than us in yeah. terms of but still very well connected to a young adult generation. And he talks a lot about platforming the leadership that you want to, you know, duplicate. And so they have a very young church, even though he's an older, older guy. But the point is no church is healthy with a missing part, yep. right? The, no, no body is healthy with, 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 with a missing part. I think that's clear in scripture, but, but I think we, we miss so much when we don't have young adults engaged in the regular worship service of the whole body, you know, intergenerational, the young, the old. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think there's there's so much uh, value and there's so much energy and there's so much creativity. There's so much of the things that we're talking about right now. When you actually engraft young adults into the worship service itself, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think as a as a pastor, if you're listening and you want to engage young adults, I would be doing every single thing I could to create opportunities and to create space for young adults to engage with your service because they, they, they do, they radically shift the culture the environment and the, and the uh, trajectory of, of what you're doing on a regular Sunday morning. Yeah. And so Charlie answer this for me. It's one of the things we keep hearing over and over about young adults, about Gen Z in particular. Um, they want large, gr- like large responsibility. Like, so it's not like, let me come hold the door once a once a month at a Sunday morning. They want to take on a big responsibility and own that. Are you finding that true with the DLT leadership team you have there at Rally? Like they they want to tackle big big things. Yeah, I think we we definitely see that going on. And the thing, one of my favorite things about Rally is that it's led by young adults for young adults. So. Mm-hmm. Everyone, I mean, obviously myself included, is uh, in that 18 to 30 year old range who was involved with the rally. Um, so, the difficulty that I've faced recently as a leader is trying to make everyone feel needed and known that leads on that um, dream leadership team, and and everyone wants to do the 
the job or play the role where everyone sees them and that's not necessarily sometimes it is an arrogance or a pride thing and the need of wanting to be seen but but other times I think it's like that's just where you feel like you're actually making a difference so I've been trying to as a leader just communicate to everyone and cast a vision that you know like every every role is making a difference because yeah. the experience doesn't start when people walk in the room the, the experience doesn't start when I start preaching the message the experience doesn't start when worship begins it starts from the second people walk on to our campus yep and the the front line are those people that are holding the doors it's those people yeah. that are directing people to their parking spot so even if someone who walks in doesn't think that the experience um starts until they get in the room that their experience starts as soon as they get onto our campus so every single role makes a big difference in making that experience excellent and ushering in the um someone's uh how could i say it and just helping someone become more expectant for god to do something whether they realize it or not yeah. So, so I, I definitely think there is a there is a, a want among young adults, and understandably so, to want to be playing that role that they feel is making a big difference. But I think we need to kind of change the mindset and change our thinking and realize that no, every role is making a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think if there's one word that I could use, and it's probably insufficient by itself, but probably one of the closest words that I can think of for uh, young adults, Generation Z, your generation, that they're in pursuit of, it's significance. And I think for sure. the, the extent to which we can add value to the most uh, minuscule or microscopic things, if we can add value, I mean, I used to do this at, at Saddleback all the time. And I, I would tell them, say, hey, listen, your handshake may be the closest touch that person feels a day, or your smile may be the only smile that they see the entire day. That's why every single thing that we do, every single thing that we that we build from from the street to the seat, whatever your terminology is, is absolutely mm -hmm. critical. And I think when we add significance to roles and positions, it 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 does matter to an extent because they want to be a part of a larger conversation, and we should include it include them in that. But at the same yeah. time, when we add value and significance to the, to the small things as well. It, it helps. It helps a lot. So I want to I want to ask you a question, just shift gears just a little here. Um, yeah. Jeff and I are obviously uh, a little older. I have you a saying that well, like we are old. older than him, bro. I have I have a son that's 23 and a son that's 21. This, my, this, my oldest this is 20, dude so right here. This dude right here could be my son. OK, so you just stated over and over. They already know we're older podcast listeners. We are old. No, it's uh, <laughs> no, it's so. My question is this, and I talk to my son about this, you know, sometimes, and it's really important for me to, to try, but not to try too hard. Right. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, as someone who's reaching and leading young adults and doing uh, great things with young adults for dudes like us, thank you, who have a desire to be a part, to contribute, to mentor, to lead, to love young adults what what can we do how can we relate how can we stay engaged what are some of those those key things that we need to pay attention to so that young adults know that hey we we are here for them we're supporting them we love them and we believe them believe in them and, and build those relationships how can we do that that that's a great question i'm not sure i have the, the perfect answer by any means but what i would say is that i think it's important that no matter who you are or how old you are, that if you're ministering to young adults, you need to meet them where they are and you need to authentically be yourself. So 
whether that whether that means i mean actually getting to an environment where young adults actually are like you guys are obviously on a, a university campus where there are tons of college students or whether that means getting on the different social media platforms where young adults are or whatever whatever the case may be finding where young adults are and being there but being authentically yourself like bringing your experiences bringing your opinions bringing your beliefs to the conversation something that i think young adults really value more than anything right now because we live in a world where everybody's putting a filter on their pictures and everybody's right. on their their best face to, to show them be their best selves and i think more than anything right now people want authenticity so you need to meet them where they're where they're where they are um so you can know what they want in a way but more than anything they want authentically you so right. I, I think i think that's the biggest thing and beyond that i don't know what to say but i i don't think people are looking for that that um maybe older leader who is trying so hard to be cool or trying so hard to act young they, i think they want that mentor who um is secure enough to be themselves but also is humble enough to um not judge them for what they're doing and uh loves them enough to meet them where they are yeah you mentioned mentors and you've mentioned your dad several times but outside of your relationship with your dad who have been sort of those voices in your life yeah that, that's a great question um i got a few answers for this and i, I don't want to sound like i'm i'm name dropping by any means but th this is the the truth um craig rochelle is a great mentor of mine um, not everyone knows this, but I actually lived with the Groeschels for two or three months, um, about two summers ago. I worked at Life Church, mm. and I got to be around Pastor Craig and Pastor Amy every day. And they're some of the most amazing people I've ever met in my entire life. And I, I'm forever grateful for the investment that they've made in me as a person um, and just as a leader. So he's he's been a great inspiration to me. Um, in terms of discipline, maybe more than anything. And that's not necessarily something we've ever talked about, but just living with him, that guy is, is disciplined. He, he gets stuff done. I remember living with him and he was speaking at the global, the global leadership summit later on that summer. And I got there at the beginning of summer and he was already working on his talk that was like two, three months away. And I, I was just so inspired by how committed he was to every single thing that he did. Um, so Pastor Craig is definitely one. I, I love him dearly. Um, there's there's a guy who uh, he actually just left our church. He's now at a church in Houston. His name is Abe Matos. Mm -hmm. He was a great mentor of mine um, during my middle school and high school years. He poured into me. He was my youth pastor um, in great ways. He kind of helped teach me to to preach. Um, he gave me my first ever opportunity at church by the glaze to preach. My dad didn't even give me my first opportunity at church. <laughs> it was Abe. I preached at our Sample Road campus this Wednesday night youth group. And the sermon still wasn't very good, but Abe just, he believed in me. He continued to um, invest in me. And over time, I think I've gotten a little bit better of a preacher and a leader because of it. Um, and the last person I would say that is that is pouring into me and again i'm really not trying to sound like I'm, I'm name dropping but this is someone that i i love and i know believes in me is a uh, pastor stephen furtick um i mean he's he's been one of my heroes as long as i've started listening or preaching I've, I've been listening to him and he's just been very intentional over the years with uh myself and my, my best friend is uh pastor craig's son sam he's been very intentional with both both of us over the years just reaching out 
sending encouragement, sending us his preaching notes. Just he, I remember he listened to my first ever sermon um, that I got recorded and he gave me feedback on it. I was, my mind was blown away as a 16 year old that this guy who's leading a church of 20,000 and has all these followers on Instagram takes the time to invest in a 16 year old. And he's, he stayed doing that ever since. So just, just those, those people outside my dad, they, they probably meet their opinions mean the most to me. Um, just, just the love they've shown me. It's, it's really gone a long way for me over, over the past five, six years. Yeah. And, and it's valuable. I think, you know, I mean, interesting enough, you named two people that most people are going to recognize, but you also named somebody nobody's going to know. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. not the name, it's the investment. And, and it doesn't yeah. matter if you have a big platform or no platform, make the investment, Yeah. make the investment in somebody, investing the kingdom things and encourage a young adult in their gift. Encourage a teenager, a, a middle schooler in what God you see into them. I think it was uh, our friend, my unique, who was on here and said, somebody called it what God put in her, called it out of her. Yeah. And so yeah. as a mentor, your responsibility is to call the God things out. That if God put in, you call them out. And it sounds okay. like you've had some incredible encouragement in that. And some people that have, have sort of drawn that out of you. Um, I was the... I was the, the out of uh, did you ever play church growing up like as church kids we played church growing up like and like yeah. i did not play that game growing up <laughs> rob, rob didn't grow up in church rob grew up somewhere else man <laughs> but i think there's something to it and, and i think people recognize it in the in the the gifts and people recognize those things and we start to recognize it in ourselves. and then somebody steps into the situation and goes i see the things of god in you in this and i want yeah. to bring them out of you um and that's probably one of the most uh, encouraging is terrible, not the word I'm looking for, but one of the most valuable things we can do for anybody, young adult or not, recognize the gift, call it out, and push them into it. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think for so many of us, we've got to move beyond the idea that um, what we do doesn't matter. You That's know, great. because because so so many pastors and leaders are not ever going to be on a national stage. They're not ever going to be conference in the conference circuit. They're not ever going to write best-selling books. They're not ever going to lead multi, you know, uh, multi-campus congregations. They're, they're, I mean, they're not going to do those things, right? The vast majority, the overwhelming vast majority are not going to do that. That doesn't erase the importance that God has given them as a mantle, as a pastor, as a mm -hmm. leader, of a congregation of 75 or 7,500 or 75,000 doesn't really matter. The number we are, we are tasked with the responsibility of obedience to the giftings and the callings that God has given us. That, that's, that's it. And I think when we, we come to that place of perhaps contentment that yeah. Paul talks about, right. Um, it's not that we shouldn't strive or shouldn't go for things. It's just when we, when we are okay with, with who God has created us to be. And we're okay with the level of influence and, and investment that God has given us to make. I think it changes everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, how many of us would, would go back and say that, you know, our fourth grade teacher made a big difference in our lives. The, the, who are they? Like, I remember my fourth grade teacher's name because she did. She made a big difference. Mrs. Hedricks, wherever you are, if you're still alive, I'm that old, but we love you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, that's terrible. That sounds awful, but you, you understand the point. Like never, never let, never let the lack of exposure 
be the determining factor for the 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 level of investment that we are all called to make in 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 leaders and in young adults no matter what our schedule no matter what our platform yeah that's good and i think it's valuable and um was it was it sam chand who's on the show so the only time you start at the top is when you're digging a hole yes (laughs) yeah which was great wisdom so the only time you start at the top is when you're digging a hole we all start somewhere um we're all somewhat bad preachers those of us that are preachers at young ages if you started good then you were more gifted than than me or rob or charlie or anybody who comes to the table because all of us have had some real bad bad sermons so what is it that you feel like god's doing now in your life now that you you know you're 21 and now that you've got it all figured out but what's the lord doing right now in charlie right now in me that's right now i think the Lord is building some grit within me mm-hmm. in that, in that I am a college student. I'm leading a ministry that requires a lot of work and intentionality and focus. Um, I'm where I want to be in many ways, but in other ways, I'm far from where I want to be. So in, in juggling the responsibilities of school and work, um, it's really stressful but I know it's a good type of stress as well. So I think that right now, what I'm experiencing, um, it's difficult, but I also think it's, it's preparing me for what God has next. And something that Pastor Steven said to me, I think I'm, I, I probably was 17. Um, he said like, what you're doing now is proving to God that you're able to handle what he wants to give you later on. So in the moments when like, I want to quit and drop out of school and be like, somebody else can lead and rally. Those moments don't come all the time, but when they come, um, I just try to remind myself that right now, what I'm doing, even though it feels stressful, even though it feels more than I can handle, even though sometimes it feels out of my control, I know that one, God is with me. And two, God is using what I'm currently working on to prepare myself for the purpose and the plan that he has for me. Um, to fulfill later on. So I think, I think God's building some grit within me, building some determination, building some persistence more than anything. Yeah. And I think that's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's never fun. Right. I mean, that learning to be a resilient leader is never fun because you have to walk through some junk to get to that resiliency. Right. And I think, I think the, the, the culture, not, not just young adults in general, but I think culturally we are, we are um, grit shy. Like we don't want to have mm-hmm. to go through that process of, of what it means to earn or learn that grit. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually preaching first uh, Samuel chapter 30 yesterday, and that's all about David's grit as a leader. I mean, he, yep. he, he was at a place where he was essentially backslidden, right? Mm-hmm. He's trying to make his home among the Philistines, which is at orchard here, like his mortal enemy. Right. He goes to battle. He's like, Hey, I want to fight on your side against my own people. And they're like, no, nah, we don't need you. So he's rejected, goes back home, loses everything, all his wives and children, everything gone. Like it's right. And, and he gets to this point. He's like, okay, now what? Wow. He strengthened himself in the Lord. Right. Yeah. It's a great Hebrew word. He's, he's a, he's a <laughs> it's how you say that. Yeah. Is, is that, I don't know. The even Strong's know. concordance told me that. Oh, well, God bless Strong's. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, the point is he gets to that place where he strengthens himself in the Lord. It, it's grit, right? He gets to that place where he says, I, I can't, I can't do this my way any longer. Right. 
I can't do this my way any longer. He learns that resiliency. He learns that grit. He pursues under God's protection. He goes back and he gets the things, his wives, his children, his belongings, you know, is what, what it, what it says. And then right after that, essentially he becomes King, right? But before he could become King, he had to walk these, these pathways. And so um, what a critical lesson for us as leaders always, but especially the young adults right now to learn the value of grit. So kudos to you for sticking with it, bro. Yeah. Yeah. The journey's, the journey's never easy in any part of faith, you know, especially in leading. So translate that to me, to, to, to us, as we listen, the, the learning of grit, how are you trying to help the young adults you are walking alongside have similar grit then and resilience? Because um, we're reading books about young adults. You're probably not reading them because you are a young adult, but it's the word of resilient disciples by Kinnaman and Matlock and other people that they, the, the ones that stay are resilient. So how are you translating the lesson in grit and resilience for yourself into the young adults you lead? Yeah. I mean, the main way I, I try to do it is just through encouragement. Like, mm-hmm. bro, we're, you're not alone in this. I'm, I'm here with you. I'm, I'm struggling with you right now. I, I'm in your shoes. I think something that people get confused oftentimes is that they assume that because they're doing the Lord's work, which we are at Rally, that it should be smooth sailing. It should be comfortable. It should be convenient. It should be easy. And that's not always the case. Just because you're being faithful doesn't mean that it's going to be comfortable. So just trying to remind my fellow leaders, some of which are, are older than me, most of them are older than me, that, that it's not always easy. It's not always going to be comfortable. But if, we're, but if we remain faithful, God's going to show up and he's going to show us how he's powerful. He's going to do something really cool. He's going to do something amazing through us. Um, more than anything, like I said, it's, it's just encouragement that we're in this together. You're, you're not alone. I know it's not easy, but I promise you that this grit, this resilience, this determination, this commitment, it's serving a purpose. And if we can just stick with it long enough, we're going to see God do something really, really cool. Yeah, that's good. That's a great answer. Man, uh, bro, it has been such a joy to kind of get a conversation going with you. And, and listen, we're we're, uh, we're obviously fans and we're excited for what God is doing uh, with you and the rally and uh, everything that's happening there. And, uh, you know, we're, we're excited to continue to see what God is going to do. And so it's been a joy to have you on the show, but you're currently in college, right? So the final question we ask every guest on the show, no matter what their age, is, uh, is this, this very specific question, okay? Very specific question. So what is one lesson that you have learned in college? that has not taken place in the classroom? That's, that's a great question. I feel like there's a lot I've been learning in college that does not take place, that has not taken place in the classroom. Um, one is kind of going off what we just talked about. That is, if you stick with it, I think eventually you'll stick out. Where mm. if you just stay committed, if you stay devoted, if sometimes it even takes just keeping your head down, just pushing forward as far as you can. Um, if you stick with it, I think, we, like we've been talking about, that's what God's going to honor. That's what God is going to bless. And that's what God is going to use to do something amazing through you. Um, and part of me having to be 
resilient and develop some grit in my own life is that I, I don't have a choice. Like my, my parents would never let me even consider um, dropping out of school. And there have been moments where I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure about this school thing right now. <laughs> I, I don't share this often, but when I was, I think in first grade, my parents took me to um, um, a type of specialist and I got tested, I got evaluated and they came back and told my parents that your son has dyslexia and he has um, some auditory processing issues that just makes it harder for him to, to grasp certain concepts in school. And they told my parents that um, I, I would never make it to college and that they should consider, you know, alternate routes for, for my future. Mm. And, and my parents just, instead of kind of believing what this, this person told them, they were like, instead, let's just develop a work ethic within try. Let's encourage him in everything that he does. Let's, let's throw him into tutoring and get him the best help that we possibly can. So for, for a lot of my life, they didn't even tell me that I had learning disabilities. They just, mm -hmm. it told me that I was in tutoring because I had a high IQ. I don't know if they're lying to me or what, but they, they threw me into tutoring and they didn't tell me till I was in eighth grade because they said that they didn't want me using it as an excuse to uh, not do certain things. So now I'm, I'm in college, I'm about to get my master's degree or start my master's program in the next year or so. And just sticking with it, I'm believing, and it could just be me telling myself this to, to get myself through what I'm currently going through because it's not always a joy, but just tell myself that the longer I stick with it, eventually it will help me stick out. It, it will help me be better prepared for all that God has for me in years to come. And the other thing that I would want to encourage maybe another young adult listening to this, something that I've learned outside the classroom is that you don't know what you don't know. Mm. And I guess this kind of does involve the classroom, but whether it's in leadership or whether it's in different theology classes that I'm taking, there have been so many questions that I discovered from doing the work, questions that I didn't know to ask until I was there. And that's not necessarily a bad thing in my mind. I think that's a healthy thing. But I think with that being said, humility is key, especially as a young leader. Like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask questions because um, I, think, I think that humility, in addition to that resilience and that grit, is, um, is really what God honors. It's really what God loves. And it's what God blesses. Yeah, that's a great answer. Man, it's been a joy to have you on the show, and we are so thankful for your time and really what you're doing in South Florida. It's it's a man. It's needed. They they need the Lord down there, and I'm yeah. glad somebody's <laughs> doing the work down in South Florida. Um, the Lord wouldn't mind calling me there. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it. I, wouldn't hate calling that calling. So it would be the cruelest joke in the world if the Lord called me to Florida. And I love. I mean, no no offense to Floridians, but I think I'm allergic to heat and humidity. Like. <laughs> It's just not me. I'll go in your stead. I mean, I, I, I sweat in a meat locker. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> on that note, we're going to say goodbye, Charlie, as we always say here at the leadership drip, man, you have a seat at the table. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I've, I've enjoyed every second. Hey friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the leadership drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media? That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at The Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table.